0: Hello, so we have,
1: how you doing? So we have Arboreal Squid?
0: Arboreal Squid.
1: Arboreal Squid, yeah, that's a strange name. I'll I'll get into like the imagery behind that, Um, but it's good to have you on the program. I'm Fam Electric Ghost. We interview indie artists from around the world on this program. We've been doing it since 2018 and we just reached 25,000 listeners worldwide. Um, in the last couple of days, we hit, hit 25,000. So we're happy about that. Um, so yeah, great, awesome. great to have you on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so you got the questions that we sent you, right? Yes. So we always start with like, when did you first get into music? But I'm going to start with your name of of your project. How, how did you um, come up with that?
0: So... Um... This was actually one of my um, dad's names for gaming. Um, and he just came up with the name and nothing really behind it. And, but I was, was really inspired by the name. And I thought, you know, what kind of, what kind of a creature could this be? So I, I basically wrote a whole lore behind it kind of in my head. And then when I started to get into music, um, I thought back on that. And I thought, you know, that would be a, a really unique name that i think would fit my style very well yeah cuz it
1: doesn't mean that it's like a forest type of creature mm-hmm. that lives in the trees and you have a squid like a sea creature so it's got yeah. a dichotomy yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some kind of modern squid that can live in the forest <laughs>
0: exactly exactly
1: <laughs> like a sci- it like, seems like a sci-fi like as as the, you know ben bova isaac asimov you know mm-hmm. some kind of gene Roddenberry idea
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but um yeah it's pretty cool so when did you first get into music? At what age?
0: Um, I started to get into music in 2018, so that was three, or two years ago. So I would have been 15 because I'm 17 now. Oh wow! Um, See, so yeah, I uh, I got into music last two years ago um, around the summer, and originally I actually got inspired by um, Andrew Huang. I started watching him online, oh, yeah. and that's That's actually when I decided that I wanted to start making music because I had played piano Mm -hmm. um, quite a few years before that, but I had never really been that interested in it. But after starting to watch some of his videos, um, it really got me inspired and I started practicing piano more and that's when I started um, really getting into electronic music in general.
1: Yeah, I watched him, I watched like Loop Pop, I watched Sonic State, you know, all of us synth heads would Mm kind of go on YouTube with all the youtube personalities like anderson's and all that yeah it's, it's interesting that you started with him um but yeah it's um i i was i was referred to you by um uh you know your friend uh, Cy, uh Cy Lilith.
0: i think it's Sizzleth, so but Sizzolith, i'm not sure
1: that, yeah Sizzolith, i always get her name wrong sorry <laughs> no that's okay yeah. i've actually yeah. heard it
0: pronounced so i'm assuming that's what it is yeah
1: it, it actually is Sizzleth. <laughs> But yeah, she she recommended that I talk to you after I had, I did the podcast with her. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, you guys are yeah, in the that's, same that's... age group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like to see young people because I'm in my fifties. You know, I've been a keyboardist mm-hmm. since the '80s. You know, I had like a Ju- Juno. Well, I actually had like a D50 back in 1987. Um, nice. Um, can I, you know, a big fan of Prince and Love Sexy mm. was done on the Roland D50, which is a very interesting synthesizer. It's a competitor of the DX7, and it introduced yeah. like Roland's linear synthesis, which is a totally different type of synthesis compared to FM. Um but yeah, it seems like you're 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 really getting heavy into modular, and we'll talk about that. From I've looked at your YouTube videos, trying to pick out your gear. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, I'm a, big, a big gearhead myself, but um,
0: yeah, same, same.
1: So, so when did you start realizing you wanted to transition from piano to the electronic stuff that like the modular stuff and the tape machines? And I see, I've seen like you got an Arturia drum machine, you got some mm-hmm. other cool stuff, and they, I think some Roland I don't know if it's a TRS or, or which one it is. I, I want to catch a piece of it, TRS maybe.
0: Um, well. I decided that I wanted to get into electronic music. Um, like I said, Andrew Huang, but also, he he was like my starting inspiration. Um, but I after him, that the, he was my main inspiration to get into synthesizers. Mm-hmm. I started working in um, FL Studio first with like soft synths and all that yeah. until um, 2019, where I got my first hardware synth, which was actually a, a chord Volca Bass.
1: Yeah, Vulcan's, Still used yeah, yes, I, it in your I, videos.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I still use it now. It's it's an amazing synth. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I first got into electronic music. Tape machines came a little bit later. Um, I started watching Heinbach. I don't know if you've ever heard oh, yeah, of him.
1: Heinbach, yeah, he works with loop pop too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I love his videos. He um he first got me into tape machines first cassette tape and then Actually, a few days ago, I got my first uh, reel-to-reel,
1: so I've... Oh, those are awesome. I used to have a TASCAM 4-tracker back in, like, 86, and I combined it with a Korg sequencer and a Roland D-50. Uh, So I used to take a Roland Mm -hmm. D-50 and then record it into a 4-track from TASCAM, and then I would use a sequencer... Uh, like a chord sequencer to like overdub my Roland, like multiple overdubs mm-hmm. and then put them down on tape, which I I always found that the, that that the use of tape, it, the sound when you capture the synthesizer like a Moog or any kind of modular stuff it just sounds better, for my ear. Yeah, you know, and I've been doing it for a while, and I and I have like a R sixteen and an r twenty four from Zoom, um, but I still like my task amps.
0: <laughs> Yeah, there's. I just, I love the magical sound of tape, especially when you um, record it and then bring it down to half speed. Oh, yeah. It's just the, stuff that just the do, textures yeah. that you can get. Yeah, the
1: stuff you can do with analog, like on a reel-to-reel, you'll see, you know, the stuff you can do on the reels, um, you know, mm-hmm. is just especially if you're trying to capture an analog or a modular synth, you, Yeah, that, that analog signal is so warm. And if you bring it into like an FL studio, I had a, a little story. I was working with this... Another electronic artist in Los Angeles, and they had FL Studio, and I was doing all this stuff on modes, and then I would send it to her, and then she tried to put a bunch of effects on it, and when it rendered, it would lose, it wouldn't sound like what she thought it was supposed to sound. You know, after it rendered, it would lose like half of it, um, mm-hmm. and then she's like, "said so, Well, why don't you just go do it on your stuff instead?" <laughs> she just send me like, like this like audio files, and then I would record it on my equipment, and you end up. Coming out better, but um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I actually, yeah, I I like to record a lot of my stuff onto tape for like my jams or my songs too. It just you know it adds that whole flavor that you can't get when you record digitally.
1: Plus, are you getting into like found sounds or like field recordings with that stuff? Like, are you using? Yeah,
0: yeah, I um, yeah, yeah. I actually, I have, I just have a H one, which is the very small recorder from Zoom. But I do. Ah, uh, I like to take that with me everywhere that I go. See if I can find some new stuff to put in a track. What's cool about I bring the, it with uh, me basically everywhere. What's
1: cool about that is if you go back to the original electronic music, right? You get in the bands like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and yes, you know, I think it's like if you go to the Fragile album, they actually went out in the woods and field recorded the woods, you know, and mm-hmm. it opens up that album. I and mean, that's kind of like original mm-hmm. electronic music was very progressive and that, that that kind of experimentation of actually going yeah. out and capturing people talking, you know, giving scripts to people like Pink Floyd used to give scripts and then have people mm-hmm. just like kind of say kind of inane things and then capture it. And, you know, glass breaking and all kinds of other things, but just the kind of cinematic use of, of like field recordings and just mm-hmm. grabbing sound. And now I think today with the granular sense where you can grab samples and then turn them into pads, um, so you can take a field recording into a granular synthesizer, and then you can create this really strange experimentation, um, which is pretty cool. Which I'm starting to get into.
0: Yeah, I've actually I've only used a little bit of granular synthesis, which is um, FL Studio's Fruity Granulizer plugin. It's not like it's not the best plugin ever, but it's fun. Um, the main sample based synthesis that I've done is using Native Instruments Form plugin. I don't know if you know yeah, that. Yeah, I know what that. Yeah, it's it's a crazy good plugin. I love putting, like, basically anything in it. Like, its main thing that when you think about it is, like, vocals, turning vocals into synths, but I've put other synths into it and, like, re them. I've also put traditional instruments like kalimba through it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, the the kind of sounds that you can get through is just great.
1: Yeah, I've been using, like, a make-noise morphogen to grab samples and then bring them into some of my hardware synths like some of my modes and kind of revoice them mm-hmm. by running it like a, a sample of grandmother and then maybe run this verb mm-hmm. on it and then you can get all kinds of strange behavior um yeah just because that real spring reverb is nothing like a like a physical screen spring, spring reverb it's kind of kind of old school but like an old Space Echo, like the Roland Space Echoes, if you ever heard about them. Yeah. They actually have. Yeah, to I've, I've seen those. Yeah, those are pretty amazing. <laughs> um, so, you've been working on music just in the last couple of years. You started getting diving into tape and analog and modular. I see you're doing. And what, what made you want to go? I guess you said you were watching Andrew, Andrew Wong. And mm-hmm. were there other, like, did, was there music you started listening to? That, that kind of drove you i guess the question we you ask is like who are your influence and reference influences and reference points so is it primarily what well, you saw on youtube or were you actually listening to music that was similar
0: yeah actually um it, it started off with andrew huang and i actually never listened to electronic music before that i hardly even knew it was a thing but after after listening and watching to andrew huang i then kind of started to um, explore electronic music see what was out there and i came across this band called infected mushroom i don't know if you
1: yeah i think, heard them. Yeah, I, think I would uh, refer to yeah. them by your friend
0: <laughs> yeah they're uh, they're they're like my top influence just how they compose their songs the like the arrangement the sound design mm-hmm. you know all of that really inspires me and that's where i draw most of my inspiration from is from them
1: That's interesting. So, just more more recent um, inspiration, like a lot of, you know, I'm in my 50s, so I was always inspired by the old school, you know, guys like Mm -hmm. like Sun Ra, one of the first jazz bands to ever use a Moog, back in the late 50s. um, Sun Ra was an American jazz band that actually had a modular Moog in like 58, and and, Mm -hmm. and their use of it was very experimental in terms of like nobody had really done it. This is before Herbie Hancock. This is before the weather report. This is before, you know, Miles Davis stuff. And then you're like, wow, w- w- what they what they were doing, you know, it, it kind of foretold what, how synths ended up being used by bands like Pink Floyd and, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all the other, you know, Pomer and Funkadelic and, you know, all the big, yeah. big bands that, you know, that ended up taking synthesis like Genesis. And and that's kind of, I came from the progressive kind of idea, of, you know, classical and jazz musicians, taking synthesizers and pushing it to see what you can do with this new instrument. And um, it's interesting today with what the, you know, people are doing with the sound design and the combination of using DAWs and using just analog daw recording. But, but it seems like there's a big thing now in the daw recording. Um, there's a lot of people who are trying to, which is actually kind of going back to what bands like Sun Ra and Pink Floyd and those guys used to do. You know, is more tape based, more experimental. Using the studio, mm-hmm. um, is do you have a, a, a good? It seems like you're you're you very much seem to be in that zone right now. It, it, what what yeah. what made you feel that that was a, a, a good draw for you?
0: Well, I decided that um, I spend a lot of time on the computer for one because you know we do lots of things yeah. on computers anymore, and I felt like getting away from the computer for a bit would really help not only me, like my eyes rest and my brain rest, but also just fuel creativity. Because when you're working on the computer versus when you're working with hardware, it's a completely different workflow. Yeah. And so it really works like different brain muscles and things. And you just, you have to think in an entirely different way. Um, and so that's one reason that I decided to, uh, you know, really work Dallas a lot. And then another is because, I just really like hardware, like I love touching the instruments, you know, just there's nothing like it.
1: It's like when I talked to somebody, they said, well, why aren't you like using, you know, Pro Tools or why aren't you using Ableton? I'm like, because I'm I'm a guy that back in the 80s, you know, found an old Minimoog and I fell in love with like the fact that you could, you know, hold that ladder filter and play a note while you're twisting the knobs, and, and this is where I think some people might not get it, but if, if you ever had a mini Minimoog or you had a Jupiter 8, these hardware synths, and you could actually fiddle with the control surfaces as you play. And that mm-hmm. is kind of like the reason why they, they, each one of these instruments, from a Jupiter 8 to a Prophet 5 to an Oberheim, they all have characteristics that are just like, you know, a Rickenbacker guitar versus a Fender. Um, they all have different capabilities. And if you learn how to use them, it's like using the draw bars on a Hammond B3. You, you can do a lot of things. And even these modular sensors, which I've gotten into, I have all these modular modes. And the override with the CV control, like overriding the workflow on the whole thing and just changing it anytime you want, it just gives mm-hmm. you a level of creativity. Yes, you could do that theoretically on a virtual analog, but when you physically have a mode and you take the wires and you rewire it into any kind of module, the the, the experimentation you can do, you can you can take, you can go into hours of sound design. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, it's very satisfying because you find, you, you know, you didn't have to pay a license for what you just did. You just came up with something new, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you, do you hang around a lot of other musicians that are into the same thing? same type of style of recording that you're into are you like a part of a um, collective or, or you would just have similar uh taste with people that you work with
0: like personally like in person i have not actually met anybody that has similar music taste to me i live in a place where country music is the most popular music huh. so that that should give you an idea <laughs> yeah well, i live um, in new
1: hampshire it's the same thing
0: <laughs> uh, yeah but um also, like a year or two ago, I um, discovered Metapop and that's where I've met all of my music friends from around the world is over that.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've kind of met people through Anchor FM because um, I keep on interviewing, you know, all of these artists I found on Instagram.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I've been able to get to the community that way. And, uh, you know, I've been able to even collaborate with, with people. Like I, I collaborated with a lady in Los Angeles. I collaborated with a lady in Denmark. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to work with this uh, another lady in, um, in um, Norway and it's just amazing that you know like where I live country music and folk music is the, is the, is, is the main thing so being electronic yeah. music in New Hampshire is not the big deal but I'm close to New York and I'm close to you know Boston so I go there to play live and then I meet real people before the lockdown mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but um, yeah it's cool that I was doing this show for the last two years so I've been able to continue Connecting, which I think is cool. You you found a different way to connect, which is, you know, with all the social media on the the internet, that's a good use of the computer. And like like you said, you know, everybody's so plugged into their cell phones and computers, it is good to actually be on a different type of tool to create your music. Um, Because then it gives you a different, you know, you don't get burned out of that same interface (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you're using for everything else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just, just getting away from it, doing something different is just very refreshing.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting because I, I understand, like, if there's certain types of musical genres, you know, the DAW has given, you know, a kid in Brooklyn a lot of power to be able to do something that he couldn't have done before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but then again, if you go back to the original hip hop, they were using like, you know, groove boxes, you know, using like, yeah. like high NPCs. And you know, eight oh eight, and you know, and using, uh, you know, uh, TB threes, and I still think that taking a TB three or taking an eight oh eight or a nine oh nine with a, a Kai MPC, I I kind of prefer doing a beat that way, than to mm-hmm. doing it in the Daw. Even though you could get to the same thing, there's something about when you do it on those boxes, that, that something happens that's a little different.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Um, so when you come to produce, when you actually finalize all the stuff you record, do you end up bringing it into, a DAW or do you use other methods? Do you have to final finalization or mastering?
0: Yeah. Um, when I, when it comes to like writing complete songs, taking ideas that I've made on my hardware, um, and actually like mixing it down, arranging it, I do use a DAW for that. Yeah. Um, I use, I use FL studio for that because, you know, I just, I don't have the means to arrange things like that on hardware. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's, so. Yeah. That,
0: go ahead. So no, I was going to say, um, so I usually have a two part process where I'll do everything that I can with the hardware that I have, you know, cause the DeepMind 12 that I have has internal effects. So a lot of the times I'll use those.
1: Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, um,
0: yeah, that I love that synth because it has the internal effects. I mean, they sound amazing. Um, but anyway, I'll I'll record the hardware stuff into FL Studio, um, and then from there on, I will process it digitally, like with EQing and mastering and mixing and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because um, like the Deep Mind is kind of like a replication of the of the Juno One Hundred Six, which is yeah, and that's a really famous. Roland polysynth, mm-hmm. and it's just that those luscious pads that everybody wants, you know, whether, you know, it's weird, it's, it's interesting, you know, from that new wave, new romantic era, everybody, you know, gets drawn to, like, the Jupiter 8s and the 106s or the Oberheims um, just because of that analog polysynth, you know, the analog polysynth tones are something that people are always trying to fit into their mix, even mm-hmm. today in you know, electronic music, you know, because it just gives you that kind of color that you want uh for certain things where the modes are like the bases like what you're doing with your vocals, kind of like what you could do on a mini mode um it it replicates it pretty good but um Mm -hmm. but yeah, each tool is just you know really specific to what you're trying to get at and so it's just uh i think it's just an adventure it's like a sonic adventure i always look at music as like sound painting and each, mm-hmm. each palette, you know, each tool or hardware synth gives you, like, a different color.
0: Um, yeah, that's, that's what I like best about hardware synths. Um, and just, like, the world of synthesizers in general is that while technically they're all synthesizers, every single instrument just has a completely different feel and workflow. And it just it makes the experience very unique.
1: Yeah, that's why over the years, it's like, I've been able to collect as many of them as I can. <laughs> and it just has <laughs> you know be able to have have a certain flavor it's like oh you got to bring that mini moog out because it's going to give you something that and the thing about moog is interesting every moog they put out sounds different from the beginning um mm-hmm. and so the mini moog versus a voyager versus a grandmother versus a one you know, every single one it doesn't sound exactly the same so you can always pull you know, there's always a reason to like pull a different one out for a different feel. Not that yeah. you can't get cl- you can get close to the same sounds, but they're always a little bit different. And if, if you've got like trained ear, you're like, wow, that's that's not exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. And you can take advantage of that. And I think that's what we like to do with hardware, sensors. You take advantage of that. And it's just like it's very satisfying to be you know playing with a ladder filter and you know or in, the, in the resonance and, and just the stuff you can do with it. Uh, you know, each particular synth, it has its own characteristic, and I think that's what what people like is the is the real time feel that when you're recording yeah. that you can immediately you don't have to menu dive on these things, which is mm-hmm. I think that that kind of killed things. Because I you know I was grew up in an era where you had the you know these synths that had all these control surfaces, and then suddenly they all went like the DX7, and then you had the menu dive. And then you could, you wouldn't actually use a lot of capability because if you're, you couldn't get to it, you know, yeah. when you were playing. You, mostly, if you were trying to play live, you, a lot of that stuff you couldn't get to anymore. And then people like mm-hmm. were using the presets, like DX7s and in the D50s, people just used the presets, and they were good presets, but they became less innovative in the design because it was harder to do.
0: Yeah, that's actually one reason that. Um... I picked up the uh, Volca FM because it has, you know, it's DX7 compatible and everything, which is really neat. Um, But it also has on the face, like attack and decay knobs so that you can actually change the sound as you're playing. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit more performable.
1: Yeah. I think the age of the diving down synth is starting to, you know, just going back going away.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you can tell that when – when people are coming out with new synths, they're having a lot more performance features.
1: Yeah, I mean, Roland just re- reintroduced Jupiters to have similar control surfaces to the original Jupiters. And there's like mm-hmm. no menu diving. Everything's a dial, everything's a slider, everything's well-marked yeah. as to what it is. And even on big, big systems like the Phantom, they've got an analog, like uh, what they've got a synthesizer section that has Tactic decay, Sustain, it has the filter knobs, it has... You know the envelope generator has access to it in real time. Everything you would need, instead of having to dive down, which I think yeah. a lot of musicians started complaining that you know, we we the reason we go try to find Jupiter eight and we try to go to find a one hundred six is because of what they how they were built. <laughs> yeah, you know because you can't you can't do that in some of the modern sense that they have been building. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's interesting. And then people have gotten into Euro racks because that's the ultimate control. <laughs> that you build a synth from scratch, with every yeah, every, uh, every single little component.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been really interested to get into that. I have um, I haven't actually gotten any of it yet because price yeah, has been turning expensive.
1: me down. <laughs> you can end up spending more than buying a big synth.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I uh, I hope to um, I hope to get into modular someday, someday preferably soon, but we'll see. <laughs> Just because. I, I'm a big sound design freak. I just, I love making sounds and modular really appeals to me because of all that control that you have. Because, like you said, you're building a synth from the ground up. You know, every little component that you want, you can add.
1: Yeah. I mean, I ended up getting like an Arturia 6U and then I put a Moog Mother the 32 and then a DFAM in it. And then I put a, a Make Noise uh, Maths module. And then I put a make noise morphogene model module. Then I put a a big splitter module into it. And then I put like a VCA mixer into it. So now I can actually like do all this interesting stuff because I can take my Moog sounds into a sampler and then spin them Mm -hmm. back into different filters. And I have an Arteria mini Brute 2S, which also has a massive patch bay on it. And so I can bounce things into like multiple capabilities because I did MOGs are all ladder filter but the Arturia is a state variable filter so then you can take advantage yeah. of, of you know both of those technologies in the same rig mm-hmm. and so that's you know that's the cool thing about these modules is you can kind of build however you want.
0: Yeah I've actually had my eye on the um, on the Arturia 2S the you know the patchable features on it yeah. and the desktop style is just it's very appealing.
1: I have the keyboard one. Yeah. That means the one without the keyboard. And the cool thing is the sequencer on this one the 2S, is phenomenal because you can actually sequence, like, anything out of the patch bay. It has, like, two additional sequence modes. It has, like, four layers of sequencing, and two of them are, like, um, definable, user definable. Mm -hmm. So you can go and rework the patch bay and then use it as, like, uh, the sequence anything that you put into the patch bay um yeah so, so it allows you to do super interesting modulation um using the sequencer to actually modulate the synth in in a very interesting way which some sense you know there's sense that can do it and you can build things that could do that but it's one of the coolest mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uses that i've seen um
0: yeah agreed
1: it gives you a lot of capability if you're really trying to get deep and then the lfos on it i mean you know, it's got two lfos that are pretty pretty powerful what you can do with them but um yeah so have you been like in terms of your synthesis, what's your favorite kind of synthesis like process when you're doing sound design? Do you like to do a lot of things with low frequency oscillators or or with envelopes or do you have any particular ideas and synthesis that you like to run when you're doing sound design?
0: Um, usually when I'm doing sound design, I, um, I like a lot of LFOs. I think that's one of one of the things that brings a lot of texture. Yeah. But it also depends on what kind of sound that I'm going for. Like if I'm going for pad sounds or you know effects kind of sounds or ambient, dramatic sounds, cinematic kind of stuff, which I like to do, I mm-hmm. will use a lot of LFOs. I'll have LFOs modulating the other LFOs. Yeah. I'll, I um like I like to bring in the mod wheel as well yeah. because. Um, the DeepMind 12, one of my favorite things on it is it has a mod matrix with eight different mod slots. So you can assign your LFOs to modulate literally any parameter, including um, most effects parameters as well. So I'll, um, I'll control things like that. That's the main thing that I use for um, pad sounds, which are one of my favorite sounds to design. When it comes to bass sounds, um, I usually don't do that much experimental stuff when it comes to um the synth itself like usually it's just saw wave filter cut off you know the generic kind of thing um but when i process it i like to take different ways of um putting effects on it creatively, oh, yeah. creatively. yeah because i think you know when, when you have a bass sound you know that you don't really have that much freedom with the synth itself because you know it'll get weak if you do too much weird stuff to it but when it comes to the processing especially the type of distortion that you put you can get a really unique sound like um like i i don't know if you've seen but in some of my videos i feed back my headphone amp and then i run oh, yeah. my vocal through that yeah that's
1: a mode like a mini mode technique yeah the, the mini mode has the ability to kind of over boost it by taking that back into it and it, mm-hmm. that's kind of like how. you the, the, interesting thing, the interesting thing about modes is like when you're playing with bass lines on modes it's like that ladder filter um it can really you know tiny increments can really change the bass tone yeah. um, on, on a mode and so when you're playing with it and then now they with my spring reverb on my grandmother there's a lot you can do um because of that that actual like analog spring and, mm-hmm. and and in different uh because you, know, you can override it with the cv you can have it affecting all kinds of things. Um, and, and it kind of is like a mod matrix to control voltages. Like you have so many different choices and if you've got it hooked up to a Euro rack. Then you can do that same kind of idea you're doing with the LFOs. You, you can have the modulation wheel controlling anything that you can send to it. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you split it and then use um, like the, the, the different, uh, uh, capabilities on on analog since you can keep on you know going into um, uh, modifiers that allow you to like split the signal maybe two three four ways and get that same signal going to multiple places at, at once. So mm-hmm. it allows you to do similar kind of thing that you're talking about With, when you get into modular synthesis, you'll see the kind of craziness you can get. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it's a cool on, on, on like a deep mind. It's got that that modulation matrix, kind of like the way profits have. Like profit synths are famous for their modulation matrices; they mm-hmm. they have a lot of capability in that way. I heard the DeepMind has the same capability, so that's a pretty cool synth.
0: Yeah, it does. It's it's very flexible. I like it.
1: So so you get you you put everything down, you bring it into FL Studio. Do you then go to a recording engineer, or or do you do your own mastering?
0: Um, I do my own mastering. I'm not the best at it of course but i i um i try and do my best i watch a lot of tutorials i've done my research to try and get the best mastering that i can do mm-hmm. um i actually do I, I do um go out to my music friends though that i've met on metapop i usually send them some of my tracks to like you know help me with the mastering give them me feedback well, that's cool. so i i, think I do
1: uh, this, yeah, this time it's good to kind of not have to depend on a professional recording studio if you can't get to it
0: <laughs> yeah that that is true
1: but it's good to get you have the feedback from other people to be able to have people kind of you know everybody like working together in the community that's that's always a good thing too
0: yeah my uh my music community has you know helped me phenomenally like i I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for all the people that have helped me with feedback and helped me with inspiration and collaborated with me so
1: were you surprised when you got into electronic music how open, you know, that other musicians are that it doesn't seem to be as, like, as like competitive? Like, it's some, of you, some people would think, it was like, okay, I forget the music. They, everybody's got their own secret sauce, and they don't want to share it, or they don't want to share the knowledge. They're all trying to keep it. But I've seen, like, synth heads, we've been very, usually are very open about helping other synth heads.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was... I was surprised when I got in because I, you know, like you said, I kind of thought that it would be very secretive. You know, everyone would be against each other because that, that's generally how you think when you're trying to make music, because it's kind of a competition for, Yeah, you know, certain genres, is,
1: it is more competitive.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, but they won't help you.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was, I was really surprised with how open everybody was, you know, like not helping each other out, like how they make their music. You know, how they, because yeah. people explain like almost their entire process of how they make music. And I found that amazing, just that they w- weren't super secretive about it. And they were open to, you know, letting other people know it, how they do their thing. Well,
1: I think it's interesting from the beginning of electronic music, like a lot of musicians were all into this kind of idea that it was kind of like, a, like I don't know, it was like, like a cultish thing, but it was a it was this idea that you could be so expressive, and it was kind of counter counter culture to the to the current to the at at the time. People, there are a lot of purist musicians that were like at Berkeley, at like these conservatories, looked at laconic musicians and say, "Well, that's not real music. And yeah, that's not, and that's not anything that's ever going to go anywhere." And so they they kind of was a community of people where you, when you found another synthesis, they were like okay, you know, we're kind of bucking the system because like the traditional musicians don't think we're real musicians. Um, and so it, it was this thing kind of tight-knit community that just kept on like, okay, we're going to work together because the bigger yeah. world of musicians is kind of against us <laughs> and at the time. It's gotten yeah. more open where they, they're not so like that anymore. But they're still kind of purists like, oh, you know, send,
0: yeah. you know they don't think
1: yeah. like anything with the sender, like like a heavy metal kid might be like, oh, I'm sorry, like no, nowhere, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've experienced some of that where I live because, like I said, the main thing here is like country or pop music. So um, I do get, I have gotten looks and things when I've said that I play synthesizers because I I have noticed, you know, like around where I live, that it's not really taken seriously. So yeah, I, have, I have had experience yeah. with
1: that because people kind of look at it and they, look, they they think about the 80s and the whole new wave era and that kind of, you know, the MTV generation, you know, seeing Flock of Seagulls and The Cure and, you know, there's always been this kind of thing Well, oh, you know, like that's not rock, that's not, you know, that's something else. Um, yeah. And there's always like, you know, punk or, or grunge or heavy metal or death metal, any kind of metal is more you know, like, hardcore than anybody in a synth unit. But then I would argue, like, look at Trent (laughs) Reznor. Yeah. (laughs) Look at Pink Floyd. I mean, people, everybody loves Pink Floyd. You know, everybody, you know, Nine Inch Nails shows how hard you can be on a synth. Um, So you don't have to feel that it's, like, some kind of, you uh, you know, new romantic era. Duran Duran based thing you know
0: <laughs>
1: not that they're a bad band because like, if I look at Duran Duran you look at Nick Rhodes and the stuff he was doing on a Jupiter and like I respect that yeah um, I, I respect what they did and they actually were they weren't as much teeny boppers as people thought they were um, if you actually check them out um, they actually were crafting pretty good songs that hold up even today today yeah um, mm-hmm. So, so have you ever played live with your stuff other than like what you do on a YouTube channel? Have you ever been able to get anywhere and do a show? But I guess where you are, you might not be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I was um, I was going to try actually late this year, spring, early summer. Um, I was going to try and play at a few coffee shops. I was going to do more ambient kind of stuff that might ease yeah. into the community. Um, yeah. but. Then again, COVID hit, and that kind of okay, has gone out it. the window.
1: But you've been doing a lot of stuff on your YouTube channel. I, mean, I was looking at your Dallas track number one. I've been looking at a lot of your videos. Uh, so has that been? Have you been doing? Um, are you doing more stuff? Is that all like stuff that's produced ahead of time, or is it live?
0: Uh, that's all like the Dallas jams and stuff. That's basically all live. Like I'll um I'll be fiddling around with my. Hardware sense, I will come up with a neat bass line and I'll be like, all right, let's go with it. And then I hit record. Like the melodies that I play and the transitions and stuff, that's all just on the cuff. I I don't plan any of that.
1: That's cool. Because one thing I've been really, where I always kind of stress to like guys I play with when I record with guys is I, every time I like link up with some real musicians and and we do a a rehearsal or something. I always like to kind of just like, okay, let's just jam and, and just kind of get the feel. And especially when you're playing with other musicians, kind of let's see if, you ha- if we have chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. And especially with drummers, you know, you kind of, just, well, I'll just follow the drummer and see what I can come up with. And then, you know, a bass player jumps in. But it just kind of being able to do uh, improvisational music and, it, you know, this kind of free form, what I call it like stream of consciousness music, uh, which is kind of, when it gets into electronic music, like that's how it started. You know, that's what people used to do. Um, yeah. And, and now today, a lot of things are like, a lot of things are so um, constructed in the DAWs that they don't have a lot of room, um, you know, for, for, for changing anything. Um, but that's starting to change, We I mean, know, with more, more people going out with rigs, like modular rigs, and coming out using, you know, like non-traditional controllers. Um, to be able to use pad-based controllers, or grid-based controllers, or you know, alternative methods to control of your of, of your music, then mm-hmm. people are willing to be more experimental again, which has been very uh, encouraging to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one reason why I um why I try and do the dales stuff because I like the improvisation music, and you can't really do that inside of a DAW, So that that's another reason I go with the dales.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only way you can do that is if you're running like a Novation Grid, or you're running some kind of you know controller, um, like an MPC level controller over your soft sense, like an Akai like Force mm-hmm. or something. Then you could kind of be using the integration with your DAW and the soft sense. Yeah, well,
0: controller. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what um what Sizzleif does. Yeah, she has uh, she has the, the track pad track. controllers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a cool way of doing it because then you can you can take advantage of it and then be more expressive or more experimental, and mm-hmm. and you kind of could treat your DAW like like a like a Tascam four tracker or a Fostex. Like yeah. if you look at your DAW and you say, well, I'm not going to dive into it like like you can use it for muting and unmuting tracks and then play live. Then you could you could be more. Innovative with it in live performance. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I've been more of a guy that loves like my BeatStep Pro. I've, I've been using a, a, a BeatStep Pro for many, many years because it just allows me to control so many different instruments and then on the fly create all this stuff. And I've used it in live performance forever. And I was very encouraged when they finally came up with the KeyStep Pro. Um, because now that's polyphonic it's got scenes it's got a lot of more capabilities
0: um, yeah i've i've had and, my uh, eye on that i've i want one
1: <laughs> well' the Beatstep pro I took to New York city and I had a bunch of projects in it and I was able to run a, a whole gig like i did like four gigs in New York mm-hmm. uh, with all my rollins and, and everything do i have rollins and modes and I was using that as my cont- central control structure for most of it and then I still have my keyboards and I, you know it's so the way it allowed me to to extend, what I like about it, is it extends my drum machine. Connect in my JDXI. I've got a JDXI, and I, it's a drum. It can, It has many, many drum machines in it. It has all these rolling drum machines, but it can only do four parts. But if you hook it up to a BeatStep Pro, you suddenly can do chain patterns, like you know, sixteen chain patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like you know, sixteen steps each, and you can you can put them together as a project. And suddenly you've got song structures. That you could have, you know, multiple beats going on uh, and changing yeah. at any time, and it allows you to do that with the other sense too. with you have multiple lines all coming together, and it does a really good <laughs> quantization. You know, when you're doing it, dealing with it, um, so you can easily fade into one thing into the next, and it allows you to do a lot of really cool live performance. Um,
0: which yeah, that's why. Um, yeah, that's that's why I've actually had my eye on the the Key Step Pros because. With how I do my live jams now, I'm having everything run its individual sequencer, um, and so as I've, I've actually been trying to work on playing full tracks on my DAW list setup, but it's yeah. been pretty tough to try and juggle all the different sequencers. So that's why I've had my eye on the KeyStep Pro or something similar to use as a master sequencer for everything.
1: It's great about that you can have polyrhythmic stuff going on that still it still can it will still be in sync. So you could have, uh, yeah. you know, each, each sequencer line could be doing like polyrhythmic stuff that's maybe not in the same time, but it mm-hmm. will all kind of merge together in a good way, in a good musical way. So that mm-hmm. I've always loved the way that, I do have other sequencers I'll try to, you know, coming off my Moogs and coming off my Roland's. and I, you know, you have to kind of play with that to make sure it's not all the way sequenced. Um, but then the analog sense, you can kind of tie the clocks together. So that's one of the tricks with an analog modular. You can like synchronize all your clocks. And so then if you get all those synchronized and then you get your beat beat step synchronized, you just have to synchronize that one clock against the beat step. Yeah. And then you, then you've got a pretty cool, you know, controllable thing as a one person show. Cause I've been doing one person shows since like 2016. And it's Mm -hmm. all about like syncing your clocks and syncing your sequencers and yeah. Muting and unmuting and trying to figure out how to do it where it's musical enough that somebody wants to see it
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah for for my clock i just use the uh drum root as the master sync and j- then just send it out chain everything
1: that's a good uh, yeah that's uh, yeah cause that's that's that, that's an analog machine so you've got a really cool a mm-hmm. uh, decent clock capability with that yeah. anything you can clock i mean People go looking for clocks all the time. You know, they're always looking for like external clocking capabilities when you start getting into this. But um, one of the things I always like to ask is like, um, have you ever decided that you want to collaborate with like a musician within your genre or a musician outside of your genre?
0: Yeah, um, I'm actually very open to collaborations. I've had, I've reached out to other people to collaborate before and I've had some people Come to me to collaborate and you know i'm i'm very open to collabs because working with other people is completely different than working by yourself because everyone has their own workflow and their own sound so you know you get all those different feels into your own music and you know it makes a big difference um yeah i've I've collabed with some people within my musical genre um i've worked with an artist called davnak he makes electronica um, mm-hmm. But I've had him record um, elect- on some of my tracks because I don't play guitar, but he does.
1: Oh, have um, you ever got any bass players to play with you?
0: Not yet. I've actually for any bass players. Um, yeah,
1: because like bass is like a whole talent. I mean, I, I mean a lot of yeah. us electronic musicians we do our own bass lines, but every time I ever find a real bassist, I mean a guy who knows how to play an acoustic bass, he always mm-hmm. just amaze me. Is it kind of? Kind of like if you ever work with a real drummer. like if yeah. You can put down all the drum beats you want. At electronic Musicians, we do really complicated drum beats and things. But when you actually get a professional drummer with a nice set and you know capability, and you give them, like, well, here's the song I came up with, and then, like, 10 minutes later, their drum part, you're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> there's, like, there's nothing like a real-life drummer.
0: I you know, know it's,
1: it's, because you can't usually, you know, have a way to fit your drummer into your space because they make too much noise. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just working with people who um like play the acoustic versions of instruments and things. It's it's just really amazing what they can do. Like um like I also worked on a track had Sizilith record some harp and some piano onto it, oh, and yeah. she has she has amazing keyboard skills and harp skills. And I play keyboard, but not, not anywhere near as good as she is. And so just, you know, the melodies and the performance that she can come up with that I could never do, even no matter how much I programmed a synth to play it, you know, it's just,
1: yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Having somebody as a classical musician, you know, I was talking to a, a cello a cello, mm-hmm. cellist, and um, a violinist and You know, we're always a synthesis. We're always trying to bring in pads that sound like classical stuff. Um, Yeah, but but like when you get a real like orchestral musician, then you're like, wow, like you know, the cellist and the violinist, and even like if somebody's playing like um, vibraphone in a band, it's like what they can really do is just always blows my mind. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's why I always leave room if I can play with somebody. On an acoustic instrument, I'm always going to try to get them in mm-hmm. on my, what I'm doing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but that's interesting that that you have been doing that kind of collab. Um, have you um, thought about um, you know doing live shows? Is it part of like a collective or a festival type of thing? Has anybody approached you in this COVID time to try to jump on any kind of these? I've seen more and more of these electronic like online music music festival starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen anybody like in in, in your zone trying to put, put something like that together?
0: Uh actually not like I haven't really heard a lot about that.
1: Hmm. Yeah well I, I just started seeing some of them. There's some people I interviewed that are, are part of that. Um they're mm-hmm. they're they're like bigger you know bigger level artists but um mm-hmm. there's some like labels because of what's been going on like some indie labels and uh, and have been trying to put together like these showcases of their artists and these live streams. Uh, and yeah. then there's some booking agents that can't get people into the clubs and they're starting to do that too. So it, it seems it's a different tier levels, but it seems to be because they realize they're not going to be able to do anything until 2021. Um, mm-hmm. So they're trying to figure something out.
0: <laughs> yeah, The only uh, the only group that I have seen um, that's doing shows like that is Polyverse. I don't. They are. Um, they make plugins. They're a plugin company. Mm-hmm. They've, they've worked with Infected Mushroom on plugins. Um, so oh, I, okay. I them. I'm sure
1: they got Infected Mushroom doing that.
0: Um, I think they had an Infected Mushroom show, but they're also having um, other like small artists and stuff who have been impacted by COVID play to make money and stuff. They have them play live on their channel.
1: Yeah, some companies are doing that. You know, they're starting to. I think I even heard of Roland trying to set something up. They were going to do something pretty soon. But um, yeah, yeah like all the big companies, to, you know, if they're selling all this gear to musicians, well, you know, if we didn't, the musicians don't have a place to play it, they're not going to buy the gear. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it makes sense that the big instrument manufacturers from Yamaha, Korg, Roland, Moog are all going to. Well, actually, Moog's been doing it. Moog's been having people do shows on their channel. Um, so i did see that um so that that seems to be a trend uh, the manufacturers are, are actually doing that um so we always like to ask the question what do you think the future of music is i mean you're in a kind of futuristic part of music being an electronic musician but what do you think the future is
0: uh, sure like I've, I've thought about it and just with how different things constantly change you know constantly coming up with new instruments Um, you know, people pioneering new genres or combining genres, and just, it's very hard to tell, you know, what the future holds when it comes to music. Especially electronic music.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I was always interested in is like, okay, now that COVID has happened, and the way musicians made money was they had to tour, because Mm -hmm. the physical media of music is no longer generating enough income for even big bands to Survive on their income from from their record sales. Yeah. the actual touring and you know merchandising and licensing that makes the money. Uh, and I've thought there's like, well, there's got to be a way for the music industry to, to get the the content to actually be fairly priced for musicians. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's hard in a world where everybody can just get something on some streaming service for 0.06 of a penny. <laughs> um yeah <laughs> that, that, that's kind of like the demonetization of music because i grew up having to buy vinyl you know going to tape then going to cd and then suddenly you know Napster, and, and then itunes and now spotify and now now suddenly you know ten dollar album is now you know you just nine dollars a month for everybody's music um, yeah and so that's totally demonetized the value of of our art um Except for touring, and now COVID's taking that away. <laughs> um, so it's trying to trying to figure out like how do artists navigate this and and do what they love, but also be paid fairly.
0: Yeah, well, that's actually um, that's one reason why the artists that I do support, um, I don't like to just stream their music. Like I I've, I of course do when I want to listen to it, but that's not all that I do. Um, I like to you know buy their merchandise if they have any or actually pay for their albums another reason why um some of my favorite artists I like to buy their CDs like cuz one I just I love physical CDs and two um I like to support them as much as I can so that's why I'm okay paying for a 10 20 CD because the money is going to the artist and I know being an artist myself I mean I don't make my living out of it but I know you know it's a very hard to make money so I like I like to encourage other people and do it myself to um, you know, support the musicians that we listen to as much as we can.
1: That's been a big flag that I've been carrying. I always tell people at the end of every episode to go wherever your music is sold. And if it's on Amazon, buy the Amazon version. If it's mm-hmm. on iTunes, buy the Am- the iTunes full price download. Don't just stream. Um, yeah. Just because if it's an artist you love, That's the only way they're going to get the money. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and so yeah, in in buying the merch and showing up at the shows and being supportive. um, In this age, you know, a lot of bands are on SoundCloud, they're on Spotify, and they have the new COVID button uh, where people can actually hit that button and donate through PayPal to their yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I encourage anybody that's like a music fan, your favorite, you know, band, which might not be the biggest band in the world, you know, find them on Spotify and hit that COVID relief button um with whatever you can give them um because that's going to help out artists because you you know if these artists can't survive you might not see them doing the music anymore they might have to switch their career all the way so if you're a supporter of music it's it's a good thing to do that i Mm -hmm. think in terms of technology though um one thing i did see um what's been happening in, in synthesizers is um you know, there this. Uh, there was a company called UDO, and they came up with a brand new synth. It's like a retro and futuristic. It's a binaural synth, which is it means it has stereo oscillators from the from the beginning of the path. In in, the, oh, and, yeah. and so that in terms of technology, and it's using what is called. Um, um, it's a brand new technology that is, is for for the actual design. It's not virtual analog. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a new type of. Um, chip technology that seems it's almost like virtual analog, but it allows you to uh, to do the, the mapping that would be similar to an analog, synth, similar to what you see in your, in your deep mind um, or yeah. what you see in like a system eight, but it's got this new structure of, of a chip that allows you to actually map out the transistors in in the structure of the synth. And it, it basically allows you to replicate an analog synth through the circuitry. Um, in a modern circuit ma- method, which allows you to, to have all the power that the old analog sense had with a digital capability. Um, so I think that that is seems to be more like technology. the technology of giving people that analog power, but giving you the flexibility of a digital structure and then stereo oscillators.
0: Yeah, the, the stereo oscillators part, I mean, that's huge because I, I love to work in stereo and that and just, you know, the power that that can have is really, that's crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's called a Super 6. It's a British company. And um, they've been, they they premiered it at like all the big synth um, conventions before they all got shut down because of COVID. It's been out, it's been in the design mode since last year, but it finally started coming out. Like right now, it's, it's physically shipping. And it's just a, an amazing synth. It, it's got the kind of, kind of, I don't know workflow of an old synth. It's all control surface. There's no menu diving on it at all. It's just got like an LED display. (laughs) It doesn't, but it doesn't. It's not a deep display. It's like it's like like a Jupiter display. It doesn't really show you anything but like numbers. Um, Yeah. So it's 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 really a feel synth, but it's got like a power in it that I haven't seen in a long time from from a synth. Um, So I'm I'm very excited by it. Um, hoping that more people design stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll definitely check that out. I actually just pulled up a video of it now, and we'll watch it after because that that sounds really cool. Yeah, if
1: you hear it with the chief engineer, he's the one that usually shows it off. He kind of dives into what those stereo oscillators can do, and it's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, that's that, I'm a big techie guy, but I do tech in my normal life, but um. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like, I think the future of music is a combination of like analog and digital and sampling and you know and control surface capability. Um, what I'm hoping to see is collaborative DAWs. And so one thing yeah, I yeah that, that would be is nice a real time DAW that I could go, you could jump into your and we could do it from our own studios. So if you had a drummer, he's in his studio, he can put down a tracks and you could actually play live with every member of your band in their own area and put it down into the DAW and then listen to the playback and act like you were actually physically there.
0: Yeah, that yeah. that would be really nice, especially That's- during our current situation.
1: Yeah, I would hope somebody would put the time into trying to build that because musicians would kind of need that, you know, based on what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um yeah my those are my ideas in which are more technical but also theoret- I mean, from a business point how we going to survive so like yeah everybody's got to pull together and get people to value music and value musicians and mm-hmm. you we'll know, get a real job <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> you know, but um yeah it's great to talk to you i'm, I'm, I'm glad that um, Sidilla gave me uh, your information. I look forward to listening to more of your stuff on, online. Are you working on a bigger overall project? Like a um,
0: yeah, I actually have an. I actually finished my album um, about three weeks ago. It's coming out on August 5th actually. I just released another teaser for it today on Instagram.
1: Oh, well can send me a quick um, do you have something already set up, like a, a campaign for it or something? because then I can include that link. Do you have any kind of link or something where it's going to be?
0: Um, it's going to be on all music platforms. On my Instagram profile page, um, the link there is to the pre-save link for Spotify. Okay. So if okay. you listen so to Spotify, if I take
1: that pre-save, I can use that.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, good. I'll use that pre-save on your Instagram.
0: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. So I'm glad that you came on the show, and uh, hopefully, you can um, we'll get some good uh, good feedback on that new record. And good. wish you good luck with that, and I uh, hope that um, you keep on doing what you're doing and you're your, your still remain excited by music, you know, in the next year. If I if talk to you again within a year, we can get into uh, talking about where you are then.
0: All right. Thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it.
1: Okay. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye.